0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: you're listening to bulletproof radio with dave asprey what if there was a way to
2: level up your energy get rid of stress and take more control of your body welcome to quantum upgrade You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use.
1: Today's cool fact of the day is that doctors will soon be able to diagnose disease or other states of wellness from your breath by just looking at gases like acetones that come out of your body. Researchers just developed a laser in the mid-infrared frequency range that can detect really low levels of concentration of gases. A laser like this could also probably detect methane, so you could understand greenhouse gases and climate issues. And a predecessor of this is already used by your friendly neighborhood police officer who can shine that flashlight into the window of your car, except it's not just a flashlight. It's got an infrared laser looking for alcohol on your breath. Cool, huh?
2: Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body, and those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells, and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com.
1: Today's lovely guest is Ari Mysel. Ari is a former Ironman triathlete, I guess you could say. He's also the author of Less Doing, More Living, a book that's being released April 3rd. Check him out at lessdoingbook.com. And this is a a really cool book that you're going to want to check out. And that's why I've invited Ari onto the show so we can talk about some of his discoveries there. Ari's also a biohacker. He has two young kids, idolizes Harry Houdini, and has started a couple companies including Lead Pro, which does green buildings, and his current company called Less Doing. And is it true, Ari, that your wife is a vegetarian? No. Hmm. Are you? Because I have something here about no week, weekday vegetarian I, oh, I, diet. What's up with that?
3: No, that was, weekday. Well, first of all, I was a vegetarian for about I don't know four or five months, I think, when I was <laughs> going through experimentation. Uh, no, weekday vegetarian is uh, is um, Graham Hill's diet from Tree Hugger. Okay. And no, my wife is definitely, my wife is more of a meat eater than I am, actually.
1: <laughs> so um, somewhere in, in when I was looking around for interesting bio, uh, you know, bio info on you, I found something about that. And by the way, if you were vegetarian or your wife was, it doesn't matter. People eat whatever makes them feel good. And that's part of being <laughs> bulletproof. And like, I have, you know, um, no problems with that. But it was just kind of funny because I was going to tease you.
0: Yes.
3: <laughs> you stole my thunder. Yeah, sorry. So, I was vegan for a month.
1: you can You can hit that one if you want. <laughs> What happened when you were vegan for a month? See, we really planned all these questions in advance, right? Like I didn't even Nothing. know you, you tried it. <laughs> Nothing? Didn't you feel really good um, for a little while? I did.
3: Well, let's see. Did I feel really good? Uh, I felt like not as bad. Let's put it that way. But I didn't feel like I was getting any better. Is this like you know, less I, I felt like it was Is less bad kind yeah, of like less doing? <laughs> it was. It was. But, but then again, you know what? I've learned in, in hindsight is that there is a proper way to do the vegan diet. But I think that most people, like 95% of people don't do it. And I have these two friends right now who are doing their 21 day vegan challenge on Facebook, and they keep posting like, uh, you know, the, uh, the the not Cheerios, but you know, their cereals and like the the pre processed milks and stuff like that. It's just, you know, just cutting out meat doesn't mean that what you're eating is good.
1: You know, I found that when I went on the Coke and Doritos vegan diet, yeah, um, absolutely vegan with, with heroin. Um, it was <laughs> like there's also all sorts of things that aren't good for you that aren't and meat, e-cigarettes,
3: right? e-cigarettes. Don't forget.
1: Oh, that's right. So It's kind of funny, but I can tell you I felt much better uh, when I went on the vegan diet. I lost weight. I improved my focus. And what I didn't know was that for the first three months, I was hiding some mitochondrial issues because of my excessive intake of omega-3 fats. And that after three months, things were not going to go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you didn't feel anything when you went on, on a vegan diet for a little while.
3: Yeah, I just, I wasn't feeling as much pain exactly, but I know I wasn't like getting better. Right. One of
1: the things that's, that's really interesting about you is, is like me, I, I had a bunch of different things like Lyme disease, toxic mold exposure, arthritis, uh, chronic, what, chronic fatigue, whatever. Oh, the whole big thing that I overcame, I but, but you still. had Crohn's, which is, which is really crappy and you turned it around. Um, what happened to you in 2006 when you found out you had Crohn's and what changes did you have to make?
3: Yeah, so Crohn's is, you know, it's really horrible because it's, first of all, it's a young person's disease. So I find like the more and more people that I work with now, they're, they're just getting younger. And the last person that I got a call from was uh, the mother of a 14-year-old. So uh, it's a young person's disease. So right away, you're hitting a population that that isn't likely to look for alternatives because it's just like messing with your social life, you know, and you don't want to think about anything else. So um, I fortunately was in the beginning of a very serious relationship at the time with Anna, who is now my wife, but uh, it, it hit me. And in retrospect, so I was 23 when I got diagnosed. In retrospect, I'd been having symptoms since I was 14. Uh, a couple times a year, I'd have a really, really, really bad stomach ache. And the last two times before I was diagnosed, they thought it was appendicitis that magically cured itself by the time I got to the hospital. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> Reversible I, appendicitis, you know. I love that. The, the last time they get, I went through the CAT scan, they're like, well, we see inflammation. It might be your appendix, but, yep. you know, we're not sure. So go home. And, uh, you know, call, call, come back if you want. Okay, (laughs) right. um, Anyway, my first diagnosis of Crohn's was by voicemail. Uh, The doctor left me a voicemail and said, you have Crohn's disease and you're going to have to be taking these eight different medicines. Um, You know, call me if any questions. Lovely. So, uh, yeah, and I was, uh, I basically, you know, depression hit about as quickly as it possibly could. And then uh, I, I went to another doctor who diagnosed it again, but was a little more measured about it, but sure enough, within about four months, I was taking sixteen pills a day and including systemic steroids and a leukemia drug and uh, you know everything basically and What was horrible was that i wasn 't getting any better and one particular bad night, I basically went out to this big meal and we had a, it was a barbecue restaurant. And I had an attack that night. And it was always at like 2 in the morning, you know, which was, I guess, a few hours after I started to digest. And we went to the hospital, and the doctor's telling me, he's like, well, what did you eat? Which was kind of amazing because they don't usually ask that. It's very progressive, right? Yes, right. So I said, okay, well, I had the, the barbecue brisket. No, that's not it. I had the baked beans. Okay, no, that's not it. I had this, I had this. I had it. And then the last thing I said was I had uh, an iceberg lettuce salad. He's like, that's it. That was what it was. It Ice was probably... The iceberg lettuce, because it's not digestible very much. It's too much fiber, probably got stuck. And okay. So, because of that, I was literally afraid to eat greens for like six months after that. You know, <laughs> afraid. Like, like, I'd get like a panic attack if I saw shredded lettuce, you know, on a plate somewhere, which is horrible, of course, because it's exactly the opposite. And they continue to tell you that diet has nothing to do with it. Eat whatever you want. Um, I actually just had a, a Crohn's client of mine who uh, is doing great with with the diet changes that I put him on. And he happened to, he went to his doctor and his doctor made him go see the nutritionist in the office. And she told him, this makes me mad still, she told him <laughs> that uh, a great breakfast for him would be uh, an English muffin with peanut butter. So I, I was so upset by that. And I don't usually get stressed anymore, but that really bothered me. You must know about the
1: link between aflatoxin and the human body and Crohn's disease. Have you seen the research? You know,
3: so I never did until the first podcast that you had me on of yours, okay. and you told me in that podcast, and that and which was you know over a year ago, and that was or no no a couple over two years ago, and that research was is stuck with me. Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, so you found the original study and all that. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course.
3: So peanut butter
1: is a common source of aflatoxins. Even the stuff they sell today, it, it's controlled levels, but it's not low aflatoxin by a long measure. So to tell a kid oh. to eat gluten and aflatoxin and and these sorts of very long chain saturated sure. fats that are bad for you. Like that doctor, honestly, like like they should have to have like a prescription pad to, and they should have to write the recipes they want you to take on it because it's not okay for a doctor to use the power of the white lab coat to tell you to take food unless they're trained and expert on the food, and that was a negligent recommendation. Like that, that's not I, okay. I agree.
3: It's really upsetting, really really upsetting. And and you know you forgot to, I mean, you didn't mention the fact that that's basically a a, a, a form. It's like caked sugar, basically. You know, yeah. so that's all it is. So um, anyway, I I had this one really, really bad night where I literally thought I was going to die and I was in the hospital. And, you know, when you get obstructed with Crohn's, you're basically just waiting to see if it comes out. Uh, Otherwise, you got to go to surgery. And then surgery doesn't work because you have to do it again, usually, because they never, ever tell you to change your lifestyle. So (laughs) I got out. Of the hospital that night and I was like, I have to do something different so that 's why I went to extremes and so i 'd been you know afraid of greens, eating whatever crap I was eating, and then went vegan for a month, which again it, I started to not feel so crappy, but i wasn 't feeling like I was getting much better and i didn 't have a lot of energy so then I went vegetarian properly vegetarian mm-hmm. I think for almost five months and then I reintroduced fish and now I you know now I eat everything and now I eat high fat and and, and in the end, the high fat I think was the real the real killer, which was, I mean, well, the real the, cure. Oh, real cure. Okay. I was like, wow, the real killer? That's... No, sorry. Sorry. The, the, uh, the killer move. Um, and it's funny because butter, which is named for, buty- you know, for or butyric acid, right? <laughs> is butter. They give butyrate uh, su- uh, suppositories. It's like, that's not a fun way to get your butyrate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've never heard of taking butter that way, but hey, <laughs> whatever you're into, man. Well, that's
3: what it's like. Why can't you just tell someone to eat some more butter?
1: You know, it sounds ridiculous, but yeah, I I gave a talk uh, about a week ago at a David Wolf's conference, at Longevity Now, and you know, David's uh, um, kind of on the raw vegan side of things, but he has a a really passionate following of people who are also biohackers, and I I kind of felt guilty. I stood up there, I'm like, okay, guys, just a confession at the start. I'm a lacto ovo beefo porco vegetarian. Right. And and these guys were, they laughed. You know, it was actually an amazing audience, all these, uh, about like 1,500 people really in, into health. So they're using superfoods. And I just tossed up the butter facts like, here's the studies about butter. And a lot of them afterwards were like, oh my goodness, like, I never thought that butter might be something I could consider as a superfood. So they're actually vegans who, honestly, the vegans I know, um, Many of them are starved for saturated fats because coconut oil alone, even if you just like eat tons of it, it's, it's not all the saturated fats that you need. Right. So when they do that and they add just ghee, which is, you know, there's no animal proteins in there at all. Mm-hmm. They just add that back in. Like their skin comes back, their their eyes get healthier, like they feel better. So I, I consider it to be like a critical food for humans at this point.
3: Well, I, and not to be too detailed, but uh, so this I had this one client who, and by the way, I've replicated my results in about 15 people now with uh, The he, he hadn't had a solid stool in three years. And after a week of eating high fat and eating this way, he had his first one and he sent me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I, I named it after you. <laughs> yes. You know, but it's like, well, the proof is in the, the poop. <sighs>
1: You know, my four-year-old would be laughing right now. Anytime you say "poop," <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> A whole conversation of, with adults
3: about poop. Oh my god, that's that's point. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, but but so I got off my meds after about five months, and uh, and then it was all kind of uphill from there. All right.
1: So, how did getting Crohn's disease turn into less doing? I, I'm assuming that isn't less doing something on the potty, so <laughs> right?
3: Yes. So basically, so I did the I I. uh I figured out the diet, I thought, and I figured out supplements, and I figured out the fitness, although, you know, I went, I did uh, a Tough Mudder, and then I did a half Ironman, and then I ended up doing Ironman. And in there, you know, I was eating a lot of stuff that would not be really considered great for you, and a lot of the gel packs and things, but you just, it's what you got to do sometimes for those things. So, but after Ironman, it was kind of like, well, I did that. That was great. I proved I could do it, but now what? I kind of have to I have to take a next step, you know, and, and I wanted to keep doing better. So what I, I realized very quickly was that the largest element that was left in my illness and my body was still stress, you know, so I, I still had that thing that if somebody, if I got in an argument or there was a business thing that went wrong, I would feel it in my stomach. You know, immediately. Um, And so I was like, how do I start attacking this? So oddly, my way of dealing with that was to create a system of productivity. (laughs) Uh, So I basically wanted to free up as much time as possible with the goal of freeing up as much of my mind and my brain power as possible so that I could do the things I wanted to do, focus on the things I wanted to, and also have the headspace to not react badly to things. Because I, 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 I've, I've probably been a very like sensitive person my whole life, and I, I tend to internalize a lot of that stuff. So less doing grew out of that. And there's nine fundamentals uh, to, to be more productive, but the ninth fundamental is wellness. And it really comes full circle to, you know, you can be as technologically efficient as you want to be, but if you're not sleeping well, or you're not eating right, or you're too stressed, you're not going to be able to be as effective as you want to be. So now this is a bit of a challenge to your ideas here. And right?
1: I want to Please. talk about getting things done. So I was a fan of getting things done for a couple of years. And for people who are listening uh, who haven't checked it out, uh, getting things done is a methodology where you file everything so you don't have to worry that you might have forgotten something. Now, it works. But I found that I was spending an enormous amount of time filing crap that I didn't need to file. Mm-hmm. So what I realized was that I was filing because I was afraid that I might forget something or drop something. I could deal with the fear by making sure it didn't happen by creating a complex system in my life. But I could also train my nervous system to recognize that sometimes something may fall, and then I'm going to put systems in place, but they're probably not perfect, they're just efficient, and that with those systems that were good enough, if I could remove my fear of letting something fall, that I could actually have more energy, more time, less fear, and kind of more, call it liberation. And Mm -hmm. so I stopped filing everything and started using the search engine and I file almost nothing and I sometimes can't find what I want very quickly. But it's okay and I'm not going to die. So the level of relaxation I got from a more moderate approach was better and now I kind of feel like GTD is a response to fear. How is less doing in your case? You were stressed all the time, so you're like, I'll change these behaviors rather than changing the stress response. What made you change the behaviors?
3: Well, so it, it, it's a really good question. And I actually, I, I interviewed Dave Allen for the Entheos conference that I did as well, or and I'm doing, and uh, we had a really great discussion about this. First of all, different productivity systems work for different people, right? So, and, and I, I love when, you know, I recommend Evernote a lot of times to people as this this sort of external brain resource, I call it, creating the external brain. And... I do. I, I subscribe to that idea that if you have an idea in your head, you should get it out of your head because yes. we don't we it's not a good resource for uh, holding on to ideas. It's a great resource for coming up with ideas, but not a really good one for holding on to them. So that's more about getting it out of out of your head. And I sort of focus more on the the options at your disposal if something comes your way. So it's not so much about like file everything away, create this complex system, which I agree is something more stressful in a lot of situations. But yeah, so you focus on the way that you react to stress and then you have to set up pathways for those things to take. So if something's gonna stress me out because uh, you know, someone's gonna call me and say, I have to get this bill paid right away. Well, for me, it's very easy. I can say, okay, well, this gets forwarded to this particular person, this virtual assistant or this bookkeeper, and that's an automatic thing. It just happens. Mm-hmm, right. So I don't have to stress because I know that the options are there. You know, if somebody sends me, oh, we really want you to write this blog post. Okay, well, I can only write after 9 o'clock at night. It's something I've learned about myself very effectively. So that gets forwarded to, you know, using a service I love called followup.cc. I forward that to 9pm at followup.cc. And then I forget about it. So it's, it's almost like uh, making, treating yourself like an idiot sometimes, you know, that mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be thinking about these things. So it's like, just which lever do I pull? Right. That's
1: also gets into this decision-making fatigue. You don't exactly. have to think about it. You don't have to remember, you don't have to decide to do it. It just comes in and you do it. Right. Right. And exactly. I, I use my calendar the same way. Like, like I have this conversation in the morning sometimes, like when we're getting the kids ready for school and uh, Lana, my wife will say, uh, what are you doing at, at 2 PM? I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing at 2 PM. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding me? That's like six meetings from now or maybe 10. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to record two podcasts and I'm like, I don't know. And I, like, I can open my phone as easily as you can open your phone <laughs> and you Absolutely. can look at my calendar. I can look at my calendar. But to store all that in my head, honestly, I have better things to do with my my intellectual capacity. And remembering a whole bunch of stuff that some other device can remember, I've consciously decided that I'm not going to make that a part of my stress response. Absolutely. And you did the same thing. So there's an externalized system, even if it's maybe less rigidly organized than what David Allen, who I I have a lot of respect for David Allen. I just found that GTD didn't work for me.
3: Yeah. And it didn't work for me either. Um, It it was part of that is that, well, GTD honestly works really well if you handwrite things, honestly, because, you know, GTD is great if you have like a pad on your fridge and you have a pad next to your desk and you have a pad in your car and you can just write things down sort of like off the cuff and then, you know, deal with them later. I can't read my own handwriting, so um, and that's probably because I've been using computers, you know, since fourth grade, and my handwriting never developed as well as it should have. But that that's one of the reasons that it does not work for me. Like I need these systems that just technologically flow very well for me. Okay, cool. I agree with you there. And, and assembling the right system is is critically
1: important. Yeah. Um, are you a Gmail guy or are you an Outlook guy?
3: I am absolutely a Gmail guy. I think Gmail is one of the number one and most underrated productivity resources available to the human race. <laughs> so, do you uh
1: do you have any privacy or security issues there given that pretty much it's an open letter
3: to the NSA to read everything you do? So what? You know, it's like <laughs> honestly, so what? You know, it, the thing is is I 23 and me has a saliva sample with my DNA in it. You know, if somebody really wanted to to get in there, they would. Um you know, anytime you send a blood sample through the mail, which I know you and I have both done, somebody might intercept that and you know do something with it. If if something is too private for email, don't
1: use email. It's uh, it, it's not a bad thing to say, but I got to tell you, this T-shirt I'm wearing is my EFF T-shirt, Electronic uh-huh. Frontier Foundation. Uh, so you know, and a, a part of me is going ah, but you're right. Uh, bottom line is, if you didn't want it to be seen in public you know, you put it on email, there's a chance it's going to get seen.
3: Um, Why do people think that sexting is something that's not going to get out of the public? Like, why? why, You know, don't do it.
1: Well, I mean, look at Snapchat, right? Yeah. You know, Snapchat is out there uh, specifically for that reason, honestly. And people assume they can't do screenshots.
3: Yeah, I don't ever. I never understood that.
1: I I kind of thought of a neat application. Someone listening should write this. It would be a Snapchat to Instagram bridge in the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> which means every time you snapshot something, it magically appears on an Instagram feed, which would t- t- kind of dissolve three billion dollars of valuation <laughs> almost instantly. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, now we're talking like computer hackers, not biohackers. Let's go back to what's doing. <laughs> okay. Um, you also did Iron Man, and and uh, are you still a CrossFitter? You were a CrossFitter. What's the deal with CrossFit? I love I love CrossFit's intensity.
3: Yeah. So I've learned a lot. Let's let's say that, and I've okay. seen the injuries that'll, you know, this is my issue with CrossFit. I think that the movements and the workouts and the, uh, the combination of things are excellent. And I think that learning to do functional movements like deadlifts and learning to do things like thrusters or pull-ups or, you know, I think it's great. I think that the problem with CrossFit is that they're pushing people to a level of intensity and you only need literally a two day certification to own a CrossFit gym. It's not enough, you know, and, and after years of doing this, and and I'm not like a certified strength and conditioning coach. I, I've just done many sports and I've learned a lot about how the body works. And I'm a yoga instructor. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot and I'm an EMT, but I'm not an expert by any means. There, I see the problems, you know, with, with what people do and the shoulder injuries. And I, I, I know so many physical therapists and orthopedists who say that like they're in business because of CrossFit. So I love CrossFit if it's done properly. Which is the, which is what I would say about a lot of, things, I was going to say
1: karate is the same way, like any kind of sport, if it's done improperly, it will mess you up.
3: Absolutely. And, but I, what I've seen honestly is that I think CrossFit tends to be done improperly by uh, a lot of people.
1: I totally believe that. I spoke yeah. at a, a CrossFit event, it was, was it Wadapalooza in Miami uh, a few weeks ago and man, there were some seriously strong, seriously fit people like, like. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen women as fit as, as some of the ones there. Just like, like seriously, they can do a lot more pull-ups than I can. <laughs> and it, it's pretty darn impressive, just the level of, of strength and resilience that comes out. But they've obviously been trained right to do the movements right so that they don't get injured.
3: Right. I'd also be very interested in seeing what their hormone levels look like for other parts of their, their life.
1: If that's that's a challenge with any intense exercise, whether we're right. talking Ironman, you know, ultra endurance CrossFit, mm-hmm. or honestly, you know, playing soccer for two hours a day every day. It doesn't really matter. If, no. you're, um, if you're not getting enough recovery, it's going to show in the hormones, and it's going to show in the hormones for women first, and it'll show in sperm motility for men first, of all things, but we don't normally measure yeah. that, right? I have. <laughs> of course you have. I should have known. <laughs> first creepiest
3: talk- creepiest test I've ever done. <laughs>
1: First, we talk about poop, and then we talk about sperm motility. This is like the the TMI podcast of all podcasts. (laughs) Um, And productivity. And and productivity. That's right. Well, I I mean, I hate to say it, you know, if if you're not productive enough to have healthy swimmers, you're probably not healthy enough to do some other things too, like perform at an optimal level or be efficient. Right. And it's a great leaning indicator. I agree. All right. So we just talked about overtraining without really intending to, which is which is kind of cool. And I think that's a problem in many sports. How yeah. do you know
3: in in with what you do whether you're overtraining or undertraining? So, so learning about recovery was kind of an amazing experience for me because when I was training for Ironman, uh, I had a coach who she was incredible, uh, and I, I mean I I wouldn't have been able to finished the race without her. But since then, I think I've learned some more efficient ways of training for an event like that. But uh, you know, if I if I got sick, which happened a lot because my immune system was shot from all that training, it was really stressful and upsetting that I had to miss, you know, four or five days of training, you know? Yeah. So it was like the, the psychological idea that you have to learn how to recover is huge. And just realizing that a lot of times the recovery is more important than the training itself, because that's really where you grow and kind of, you know, improve and uh, absorb in a lot of ways yeah. was, was a big step for me. So how do I know that I'm overtraining? At this point, honestly, I could feel it in my body. Like I, I just know when I've done something wrong. But fortunately, again, from you, I've learned about HRV. And that was, you know again, like two years ago, probably or more. But HRV has been a really amazing indicator for me. And I actually really love a free app. I think it's free. It's for the iPhone called Stress Check. And uh when i don't have my heart when I don't have my um strap, I'll use that, and it just uses your finger and it'll give you a number from one to a hundred of how you know stress your nervous system is. So it, it was really effective because there were days when I'd wake up and I thought I'd felt I felt good and I thought I felt well, but then I'd pull up the uh the stress check and it would say that I was at eighty percent stress, which is which is bad. You know, unlike heart rate variability where you want the higher numbers, this was bad. And then it was like, Okay, well, this is the day that I should not be doing the high intensity interval training. This is the day to do some yoga or maybe some foam rolling or uh, my preferred method of recovery, electro stim. <laughs>
1: So I'm intrigued by what you're doing with electrostem. Not a lot of people are messing around with that. Uh, what do you use? Where? How often? I'm sure that that's interesting for a lot of people listening.
3: Uh, so I, I, I mean, it started as just a thing to like get more blood flow going to certain areas. You know, so uh, where I had a particular issue was in my right glute, which was not firing properly for a long time, and I, I think it was because I tore my patella tendon in my right knee when I was in college rock climbing and neglected to get surgery. And it probably didn't heal properly, which led to my hip and, led to, you know, all sorts of different things being off. So I would just strap, you know, at the end of the day, I would just strap the patches on my butt basically and, and you know, let it go for 20 minutes or so. This and is it just really
1: a, a TENS unit, just a basic yeah, yeah, thing, just like just, a, just a, basic a $10 thing. little battery powered thing.
3: Yeah, well, the compacts, yeah, so, the um, so that's more than ten bucks. That's like two hundred. Yeah yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a little, little bit better. Um, uh, you know, before that, I just tried to put a nine volt battery there, and it didn't do much. So it's hard to the, take uh, it on. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. So the 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 compact unit was great, but then what I found was really amazing was that if I was having a day where I felt like I was a little impinged or something like that, I could actually use it during the movement. And uh, one of my favorite uh, resistance training exercises is a squat, a back squat, and. You strap those on, you know, on your right side and your left side, on your on your thighs or so your glutes, and you do a squat. You can get a lot deeper, and you stay there for a second, and you're getting that, you know, whatever, 30, 40, 50 uh, vibrations per second, essentially. So you're doing so much more work and training. I guess you're training neural pathways really quickly, right?
1: It depends on the waveform. Uh, I would, I wish that the prototype unit I had was was available because there's some crazy stuff you can do. Uh, when you mix different frequencies and all. And I, I expect we'll see a massive renaissance of electrical stimulation over the next five years. Like all those CES devices uh, where people are, you know, looking at stuff on the wrist. Yeah, I was CTO of one of those companies. But yep. like compared to what you can do when you're not just watching, but you're actively changing electricity, it, it's awesome. So I think you're scratching the really surface cool. of what you're going to do over the next five years.
3: Oh, I know. I know. It's just the beginning. And uh, I, I know that you've talked about some units that you've been testing that have just, Giving you some in serious
1: muscle, chart. Uh, it, yeah, it's, I'm all electricity right now, and like I don't right. know, I, I'm reasonably. See if you can tell on the thing. Like I, I've got some, got some biceps compared. You know, for a guy mm-hmm. who really isn't working out <laughs> at all, except every now and then I stand here with the electrodes. Uh, I did. A, I recorded a podcast yesterday, actually, with electrodes on my abs the whole time. <laughs> I didn't even mention I, mean, I was doing it. Every now and then I'm like, Ugh, and you know, <laughs> oops. All right. Well. I'm still interested in doing less because that's like the art of biohacking. Like what gives you the best, the best change in the least amount of effort because you only have so much effort you're going to use every day. All right. Let's talk about these nine fundamentals of doing less that are in your new book, because this is something before we run out of time that they're really worth paying attention to. So what, what's with the number nine? Why not eight? Why not 10? (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, they just, that's how they broke out. It, it, it didn't intend to be nine originally. It just happened that way. They kind of, you know, I guess believe in the power of threes maybe. Um, no, it's just, it, it started with one thing and then another thing and another thing. And then finally it was like, okay, well, the last part of this is wellness. Um, it really wasn't planned. And again, you know, a lot of this just, it sort of grew organically from what I felt I needed and what I felt people we're benefiting from well so it, it starts with the eighty twenty rule, which is not my creation, but it's it's not even about that it's really a reminder to constantly be self tracking that's basically what I do because it's it's the idea that you know if you track something then you can you can make it better yes. so uh and it goes beyond you know tracking uh, things with fun little toys like the Fitbit uh or the the Nike fuel band which are which are toys uh and then you can get to things that are much more advanced and you can track everything you know you can track your sleep. You can track what you eat. You can track the number of emails you send, the number of minutes you spend on the phone. You can track anything you want. Uh, And a lot of that can be done so effortlessly now that why not do it? Because you never know what you're going to find that even if you're not looking, you might find something that you can optimize. Uh, the second one is really about creating the external brain, which is clearing your mind and so that you can think, focus on the things that you want to do. And it also goes into something what I call creating the manual of you, which is where you're documenting processes that you go through that can be done by other people or other things, which honestly, everybody, most of the stuff you do can be done by other people or other things and should be. You should be able to focus on the 5% of stuff that only you can do. Um And then it goes into customization, you know getting things being more efficient by getting things that are really tailored to you, and that can be everything from clothes to to foods to uh to drugs in some or you know vitamin supplements in some cases uh then choose your own work week, which is really about knowing the times that you do things better than others and arranging your life around that. Stop running errands, that's a big one, which is pretty self-explanatory. People should not be running errands. There's lots of ways, fortunately, to do without errands nowadays, and it doesn't necessarily have to cost anything. Batching, which is really about putting together similar tasks so you can gain efficiencies that way. Organization, and my whole philosophy for organization is about setting artificially restrictive limits and then working backwards to find solutions. My favorite one is that I will never have more than 10 emails in my inbox, ever. Uh and that's that took a while, but it, so what do you happen- do? You
1: create like forty sub inboxes and then just put nine <laughs> in each one, is that how it works? I just keep
3: opening a new a new email account actually every two hours. So <laughs> nice. Sorry. <laughs> everyone, nobody nobody has the address. Right. <laughs> Um, and then I only deal with the last ten emails, and they move on. Uh, and then uh, eighth one is fund is um, finances, and that's a lot of again about self tracking, really, and sort of optimizing things and finding deals automatically. And then the ninth one is wellness, and in wellness, I really I cover sleep, nutrition, fitness, and supplements.
1: Awesome. So it's a pretty comprehensive book. It, a lot <laughs> of it, though, you know, it's tough to do. I, I'll tell you, I've never been a morning person, except that one year when I decided I was going to wake up at five a.m. I taught myself to be a morning person for a while. Uh, I'd wake up at five, and I got to the point where that was like I'd wake up and meditate one hour of meditation replaced two hours of sleep. It was a good trade off. Um, but other than that, than that brief period, I don't function as well in the morning as I do later in the day. Yet I always had a job, and you, know, you get the VP of sales who wants to have the damn sales meeting at eight a.m. on Monday morning to get you up and going or something ridiculous. So, I mean, most people have jobs the vast majority of them with hours and yeah, choose your own work week, whatever. Like, how do you, what do you recommend people do about that?
3: Yeah, I feel like I have to rename that one because that always pisses people off until I get to explain what it means. Um, it's like I mentioned before, I know that nine o'clock at night is when I can write creatively. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, of course, you know, if I found that four o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon was the best time for me to work out, but I'm at a job then you know maybe i have to either go during my lunch break or i have to wait till after work or i have to realize that i can work out in 15 minutes a week like you do you know okay. so it, there there is a way it's kind of that you know there, where there's a will there's a way in, in a manner of speaking but uh it goes way beyond being a morning person or a night person uh you know when is the best time for me to do phone calls and that is something in some cases that you can change if you're in a nine to five kind of job, especially when I go in and I work with teams and I try to figure that out. But some people don't like making phone calls before noon, you know, but they're fine in the afternoon for whatever reason. And, you know, some cases you can have that flexibility. It really, it really depends. But um, eating is another one, you know, is it yeah. great for you to eat the minute you wake up? and Have your, you know, your Tim Ferriss 30 and 30, you know, 30 grams of protein in 30 minutes um, or someone like me who really does better if I don't eat until like 11 o'clock or noon.
1: I think women overwhelmingly do better on the Tim Ferriss idea versus intermittent fasting by itself. I've noticed ah. that over and over with clients.
3: Huh, okay. Well, maybe that has to do something with the fact that women are not actually as well built too fast as men are.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it is, that that no. either bulletproof coffee or for a lot of them, even pure fat isn't enough in the morning. They need some protein. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to get you off track there. but no, no, no. it's that difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that explains like, in other words – Within the context of your work day, do the things when you're most efficient at doing them, is what you're sort of saying
3: there. Exactly, yes. To so right. the best of your ability.
1: Now, on the stop errands front, I'm feeling really shaggy. I just got back from a 15 day road, uh, road show in four cities. I spoke at multiple conferences in LA, um, the CrossFit South Bay opening down there, um, the David Wolf Conference, and, and just uh, 20 under 20, all, all this stuff. I literally, need, I've needed a haircut for three weeks. That's an errand. <laughs> I had 40 minutes free in San Francisco and I walked to the nearest haircutting place and they wanted me to wait for two hours for an opening. I'm like, damn it. So, I mean, there are some errands that are just unavoidable. How do you go about scheduling stuff like that? Because honestly, I'm starting to feel way too shaggy.
3: Well, so I mean, a haircut's not a bad one actually, because you can do other stuff while you're getting a haircut. You know, I could I could blow through a whole bunch of emails or you know catch up on your podcast if I wanted to while I was getting a haircut. Um, so it, it, the the only form of multitasking that exists, in my opinion, is when you combine high. Focus stuff with low focus stuff, you know, like brushing your teeth and listening to the news or something. You can't do true multitasking because you're really just rapidly switching between tasks, which is the same problem as making decision fatigue. But Again, sometimes it's about working backwards on a solution. So maybe that means that you have to have somebody come to your house and cut your hair while you're doing something else, which does exist. There absolutely does exist.
1: It does. It, it strikes me as a, as a highly stressed behavior. Like I actually don't listen to podcasts. When I'm getting my hair cut, I talk with a person cutting my hair. Just, But that probably it, has a benefit to it. Uh, It, it might. It just seems like, like I, I like... I like to treat other people the way I'd like to be treated. So I'm sort of like if I was cutting hair all day long and everyone just like sat there like doing email, I would kind of feel like a bit of a tool. So I just feel like human interaction has value for me and for the other person. So I just want to do it. Um, But yeah, I could have someone come to my house and do it. Or maybe I could like hold up a plane on a runway. (laughs) Who was that presidential (laughs) candidate who
3: did that? I don't remember, but. I'll say that every time maybe I'm just bad at this, but every time I try to make conversation with a uh, a, a someone cutting my hair, it, it doesn't go very far. <laughs> I,
1: I find when I go to San Francisco to get my hair cut, it's never a problem.
0: <laughs> uh, well, hey.
3: well, actually my wife cuts my hair now, so that's actually even worse. Uh, um <laughs> so then you then you could do email. What the heck? <laughs> right. Well, but see, so my hair, I have very little of it if you're watching this, it you know, it's a buzz cut. She cuts my hair in about four and a half minutes. So it's about as efficient as it can be. I comb my hair with a towel. Uh,
1: that's awesome. And uh, I my hair is too long because I learned in Tibet in, uh, back in like 2004, 2003 when I was doing like mountaineering things uh, that I, I I just benefited by having very little hair because it doesn't stay wet. And yeah. like you're done in five seconds. And, you know, it's just it's liberating to have little hair. And I feel bad for women with long hair, even though it looks really nice. <laughs> like yeah, I, can oh, I imagine. Agree. All right. Let's see. We're coming up on the end of the show for the amount of time we've got, Ari, and there's all sorts of cool stuff we could talk about. Um, Let's talk about Top Task Tuesdays uh, from your book. What is a Top Task Tuesday?
3: Well, so that was the thing I came up with a while ago for my blog where I would post because every time I recommend virtual assistants, which is one of my top recommend or assistants period, I'm always recommending assistants to people and virtual just so everyone knows it doesn't mean that they're like, you know, a service with a thousand different assistants that could be, but mm-hmm. it usually just means that they're not sitting at the desk next to you. Yeah. Which, and that's a great idea. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and dedicated assistants are are wonderful. Uh, so. Every time I'd recommend an assistant, nine out of ten times the person would be like, oh, I don't even know what I would have them do. It's like, well, I have them do 250 things on average a month, so here's a list. So every Tuesday I would post like five or six of the really interesting tasks that I had outsourced that week, and uh, it seemed to be really helpful to people. That's really cool. So you, you post that. I don't
1: know that I even keep a list because um, Nikki, my assistant, is just she's so efficient. Like I just I just have a trust that if I send something uh, over there that she's going to do it. Uh, Or if she doesn't do it, she's going to tell me she didn't do it. And, like, that's the simple thing. And for all of you who are starting out your careers, (laughs) whoever you report to, like, those are the rules. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't say yes if you're not going to do it. And then just know if you didn't do it. It it sounds really simple, but there's a lot of psychology involved in, you know, setting clear limits and all that sort of stuff. But that is the path to career success. And that is what I expect from the people that I work with because if they're dropping balls that I'm trusting them not to drop and then they don't know it and I don't know it, like, like that's a problem because I prioritized it enough that I handed it off to someone cause I cared. And so I couldn't it, agree more. That's cool. All right. I, I like it that you're thinking along that too. And, uh, I also coach, um, I'm a mentor for the, the 20 under 20, the Peter Thiel foundation. Yeah. Uh, and so these are you know people who are under 20 who are, are learning how to do this and a lot of them have virtual assistants but they haven't managed them before and it's it's kind of funny that that whole idea of like you know do you have uh, you know, do you have a list do you know what they're doing and if you feel like you have to keep a list to track your virtual assistants that's a problem you shouldn't have to track everything they do because they should be tracking it for you
3: absolutely and delegation is a skill by the way that needs to be fostered so If
1: only they would teach that like in high school. Imagine how useful high school could be.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: that would be amazing. Well, all right. I'm really looking forward to people getting a chance to read your new book, Less Doing, More Living. And we are at the end of the show, which means the one question that I always ask people, (laughs) one that I'm sure you've heard before because I know you'll listen to the podcast. What are your top three recommendations for people who want to be more you know, be more high performance. People want to just kick more ass.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I knew the question was coming, and I didn't prepare for it. So, um, the, <laughs> fir- the, the first one, honestly, is get a virtual assistant because it's a learning experience uh, for you. No matter what you do, and and you know, it's not necessarily ideal, but you can get a, an assistant for twenty five dollars a month at this point to try out, and. Try it out because it is an educational process for you in terms of how to effectively delegate the things in your life. And it's, it's an experience and it's something that everyone needs to get better at because whether you're giving it to a person or a machine, you have to figure out how to manage your capacity effectively. And a lot of that means getting some of it out of your plate or off your plate. The second one is eat fat <laughs> because I think that fat is a wonderful fuel source. It's a wonderful therapeutic Thing fat is satiating. It makes you feel good. It makes you look good. And I think that it can help fight a lot of the inflammation that causes any number of problems you can think of in in modern society. Um, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. And I think that eating more fat is one of the greatest things that I've ever done for my health, my productivity, and my well being.
1: <laughs> Don't tell everyone um, there's going to be a shortage it, of grass fed butter. Right. Oh wait, yeah. Well, there already <laughs> is. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> and then the third one is about. This is a new one for me. Actually, it's about relationships. I recently figured this out somehow, um, but I found relationships to be somewhat stressful in a lot of ways because I I feel like I've over rationalized things in my life, and I've I've had a not weird, but I just I, I feel like my connection with emotions is is like off sometimes. So basically, what I realized is that when you're dealing with someone, and and I'm referring to intimate relationships for the most part, but you're looking for connection and if you look at it, that everything you do or say, particularly what you say, can either strengthen your connection or weaken your connection. It's a very good way to look at it. you know. And if you're having a fight, that doesn't mean that you're disconnecting. In fact, it's probably connecting you even more because if someone's venting at you and you're their punching bag, you're the only person that can provide that in a lot of situations. And that's a really amazingly intimate, wonderful thing. And for years, I never looked at it that way. I always looked at it as a negative thing. And I always tried to find the solution. And I always looked for the blame. And it was something that was really, really holding me back. So I want to be more connected. I want to be more connected to my kids. I want to be more connected to my wife, to my friends. It's about connection. And so you can really think about those in that manner. Is this connecting us more or is it disconnecting us? That's awesome. No one said that in almost 100 podcasts. Thank you <laughs> I really it's been It's been an interesting discovery for me, okay, admit it, all right. You had your virtual assistant prepare responses for you, right? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. I promise <laughs> actually, when it comes to my wife i we have a rule she has a rule. I'm not allowed to outsource anything so
1: <laughs> oh that that's that's a tough rule, Speaking of outsourcing the ballsiest move I've ever seen around that was when Tim Ferriss outsourced a chapter of four hour work week to his virtual assistant. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yes, yes. <laughs> I anyway. like that too. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate your work and helping people to focus on efficiency and prioritization and spending less time spinning the wheels and more time doing whatever it is they're here to do. That's that's all amazingly cool stuff. So have an awesome day. And everyone if you're listening to this now please do me the favor of going out there and clicking on iTunes and saying that you like this podcast and that other people might want to like it too. And check out the new stuff we've got up on the Bulletproof executive blog. Brand new design. It's taken months. It's way better. It looks better. It's better functioning and you can find stuff easier.
3: Dave, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege. Always is.
1: Thanks, Sorry. Have an awesome day.